A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have with me um, the founder and owner of Primus Business Management, Janae Wright. Janae is also an author. He's written um, a book called uh, Black Business uh, Success Model, and um, he's a tremendously successful entrepreneur from, from New York, and actually not originally from New York, uh, but we'll, we'll tell a little bit more of that story. But, but um, Janae's story is, is a great one that illustrates um, how, you know, focus, desire, drive um, can, can take a, a situation, a tough situation, and turn it around and uh, build a great life out of it. And so, Janae, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Both. So glad to have you with us this morning. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I don't want to tell too much of your story. I want you to tell your story. Uh, it's, it's a great story. So let's, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, share, share your st- story with our audience. Sure. So um, I am an, an immigrant. My family moved from South America in 1985 from Guyana, South America. That's one of the only English-speaking countries in the South in South America, and we've been here for, ever since. So I've actually been in America longer than I've been in Guyana, in my own home country. So I'm, I'm pretty much an American. I'm a Brooklyn boy. I I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. Um, which at the time in the 80s was one of the you know, low-income, um, high-crime neighborhoods. And just learning how to be street smart and all those terminology you hear about these neighborhoods being street smart, understanding where to go, where not to go, was part of me growing up, being able to really assess situations really well. Uh, I, I always remember one even in those days, you start to learn things from your friends and you come back and ask your parents certain things. And my mother's statement to me and my brother was always, regardless of what you do outside the house, when you come inside the house, you're back in Guyana, right? So it's like, understand who we are. Like we're Guyanese, this is what we do and all that is different. So you have to learn, um, you know, how to, how to deal with your parents who are from a different country as well as, you know, survive in a new environment and still make friends and, and just be part of the neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, over, over the years, you know, my parents moved me from the public school to a private school because I was getting in trouble. I was doing a lot of nonsense. I went to um, one of the best high schools. I got into one of the best high schools in New York City, which was Brooklyn Technical High School. But, you know, I, my junior high school had about... 35 people in my class, and I went to Brooklyn Tech, which my class had about 3,000 people, right? So, but way big difference. So I, I stopped going to class. I did a whole bunch of foolishness, like cutting classes, not doing what I was supposed to do. So I was actually forced to leave Brooklyn Tech and go to a smaller high school. Um, in that high school, you know, same things. It's, it's you're dealing with teachers and people who don't really understand sometimes how to deal with kids. And it, it kind of... If you're not in a, in a situation, which I was in, where my family had, had my back as much as possible, right, that, that emotions and that connections was important. I remember it, me and one of my friends in that new high school walked in school one day with a hat to the back, and the, the vice principal called us thugs. Like, what, what is that? You know, and those kind of things I realized as I'm growing up now and, and seeing kids and having my own kids, you realize how words, like, affect the kid and if there's nothing else around to help counter that 
that's going to stay with them when they start to really act up on that. So, you know, me growing up is, is typical Brooklyn kid, um, doing, having fun, doing stuff and going off, going off to college. I, I'm surprised I actually went to college. That's my teacher probably surprised I went to college as well. I went to university at Buffalo, uh, Buffalo was a very, very interesting place, and I, I loved it. I learned a lot in Buffalo. I learned how to make friends, make long-life connections. Um, the truth be told, Buffalo was the first time I actually felt um, some racism, right? Because uh, it's different. It's, it's. I remember there was a, a event I was doing, and it was like out in Buffalo, deep in Buffalo, and I was on. I was a, the treasurer of our organization. And I had to go there first to sign papers and all these things. So I was at this this event at nighttime, eight nine o'clock by myself. And these cars came by, driving by so fast, and they started calling me the N word. And it, you know, it was definitely a scary situation. But you know, you 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 learn how to deal with these things because you have no other choice, right? You have no other choice yeah. in this world how to deal with situations. Um, but that, that taught me, and that brought me to a realization of understanding where you are, no matter where you are, right? I was in East New York in a dangerous neighborhood, and I had to understand the environment. I went away to college, and I still had to understand the environment. So I think that's part of who I became as a business person, right? Understanding the environments that we're going into, understanding the environment of how businesses work, understanding the environment of, of just the, the, the minutia that a business has to go through is what I've learned over the years and just really try to be a source of resources for business owners as we started this company a few years after I graduated college. Um, now, you know, it's almost 20 years later that I started my business, right? So in April 2002, I started Primus Business Management and now it's a 19-year-old company. Uh, it has thousands of, of companies who I've worked with and, and mentored and, and gave them a lot of resources to help them grow. A lot, a lot of them are still around, some aren't, but it's been, it's been so interesting and so informative to learn from business owners as well as give my examples and my uh, abilities to them so they can really flourish as business owners. This was, it's, you know, my life is, is, is fun. I can't, I can't, I'll be remiss if I don't mention I met my wife at Buffalo University. Uh, she is actually part of my business, and she's an, one of the most important parts of my business, right? We bounce ideas off each other. She helps me keep going. We have uh, two beautiful girls, uh, five and three. And, you know, from you know, the, the level of energy that these two little girls have is, is, is inspiring, right? I love playing with them. I love, like, having time just to be their father, uh, and being an entrepreneur, the ability to be home, and you know, I go, I pick them up from school, I drop them off to school, I you know, I feed them dinner, I put them to sleep, I'm there, and I love that. That's like you know, one of the most rewarding parts for me of having my own business, the ability just to be there for my family and be with my family at my own leisure. I'm, I'm the boss, I do what I want. <laughs> no, I can tell me otherwise. So I, you know, I, I, I love that, and you know, I think that's something that that business owners, especially you know, get to enjoy it. A lot of people don't, that, you know, you can leave work and do what you have to do for your family and not have to worry about the boss or worry about yeah. what's getting up. And, that, and that's, you know, at this point in my life at 42, that is the most important thing to me. 
it's it, it's good to have your priorities in order, and I'm sure that that's that's a reflection. I mean, even even with a, moving into a you know a tough neighborhood when when you first came uh, came to this country, your your parents clearly. Um, had a set of values that they raised you by. I mean, the, the, the whole commentary that when you come home, you're in Guyana. What, what was that like? Were, were, your, were your parents tough? They were. They, they were no, my, no, I wouldn't say they were tough. I think there's, there was rules and, um, rules and expectations, yeah. right? If you followed every rule and expectation, you could do whatever you want. If you didn't, there's a problem, yeah. right? I mean, like, you know, in, in, in those times, like school, I remember like one, one of the greatest things I love, summer, um, summer vacation. I was a good kid, so my parents were like, whatever, go and do whatever you want. So in summer vacation, um, the schools around my neighborhood actually gave free lunch and free breakfast to the students. So me and my friends would literally jump on our bikes at seven o'clock in the morning between playing baseball, basketball, we'll go to go to one of the schools to get lunch, play, go back and play and play, and we would stay out all day and 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 have lunch and breakfast for us from the schools and come back home. And my parents were okay with that, right? So as long as we were doing what we we're supposed to do, they were okay. As if if you know, if I fail the class, different situation. There's no you're not you're not playing your games, you're not going to your side. So they were tough in the sense of they had very much some some given rules and expectations of me, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say they were actually tough at all. So you know the the neighborhood you were in, and I hope you don't mind if I probe a little bit, but but I, I'm really kind of curious about a couple of things. The neighborhood you were growing up in East East Brooklyn um, did have quite a reputation, especially back then. I know I know things have changed a lot in in recent years, and and in you know communities have really worked hard to turn some things around. Um, and you know you can't avoid crime. It's 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 kind of you know it can be anywhere, but some places certainly are, are tougher than others. But but where you were in during that time was really really rough. Um, I have to imagine that you know that that there could have been peer pressure. There could have been a lot of things that took you on different paths. What were your, some of some of your experiences, and how did you avoid that? How did you keep yourself centered and moving in in you know let's call it a you know the right or a productive? I mean, as opposed to joining a gang or or, or getting into one of the other crime situations, or as that um, as that principal would have called you. You know, how did you how did you not let the label thug stick and and, and allow it to influence you? I mean, my family is big, right? We're, my mother has uh, six siblings. My father has 12, right? So I, while I grew up in the, the area and I had a lot of friends in the area, I also had much more family members. So I spent most of my time with my cousins, right? And I spent most of my time in the house. Yeah. Uh, we had, you know, Thanksgiving was one of those old-fashioned Thanksgiving where, Every single aunt uncle showed up, and the whole house was packed. And people, so when you when you have that many people around you who are positive influences, right? My uncle, I remember, like, it's a silly thing. My uncle, since I was like seven, called me Doc, right? Like doctor, mm-hmm. right? And I think that had like a little bit of a stigma on me that you know that's what he's calling me. Like he's calling me highly smart. He's calling me very much. He expects a lot from me, and those kind of things stick with you. So I think my family member, my, my, my environment around me was shielding me from a lot of things that were outside. Now, you know, there was always, there was always the ability for me to get in trouble. There was always the chance that I went, when I went riding with my friends, something would happen. Um, and a lot of times it did, right? It's kids, it's boys. We, we're going to yeah. get in fights. We're going to do yeah. foolishness. But I, I honestly cannot say it, between my family and just pure unadulterated luck, I got some of the situations that I did. 
right? I think sometimes it's just, it's just, you know, I can't explain why I'm here. And sometimes I can't explain how I don't have a much worse background or, or a much, a much different background to my story, but I was able to, you know, transition through all those situations and keep myself out of it. Right. I think, you know, I think someone, I think sometimes you, you have those, like the, the conscience and the things that's inside your brain telling you something is on. And I feel I have that. I feel like something inside of me, whether it's, whether it's, you know, God or your, your ancestors or your grandparents sitting on your shoulders saying, Hey, something's about to happen. Go home. And I, I truly believe there's many of times where I have those feelings where I'm like, I'm going home. I have no idea why I want to go home, but I'm going home. And find something happened later on. So I sometimes I just I just call it luck, or I just call it like you know my ancestors are looking out for me and kept me going straight and kept me out of trouble because it's 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 unbelievable for me to think that I that that I had any real part to play in making it out all the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I, I think I can understand how you might say that. There's a part of me though that says that there's there there's there's something about you. Maybe it was how you were raised. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I mean, your your core values, who you are as an individual, you knew right from wrong. And unfortunately, yes. I I don't know that 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 all of our children today learn those lessons. Um, you know, I, you know, I like to, to to think that I've raised my family the right way, and I know a lot of people try very very hard. Um, but but sometimes kids don't learn those things, and um, and that's how they end up in gangs, uh, dealing drugs, doing you know, uh, committing crimes, and um, you know there was just something about how you were raised, something you know beautiful about how your parents brought you up that 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 um, that drove you and made you to who you are, and yeah, maybe there's a little luck, but it all you know it also sounds to me like um, you've got some fairly good instincts and. Some of that I think is built from our core values and experiences. We, you know, we, we learn, but there is, there's this also feature that, um, that not everybody does and that's listening to our instincts. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who, who, who ignore their instincts and then they say, you know, boy, that didn't go the way I thought it would. And well, really, you know, did you really think it through? Well, yeah, I guess it really, if I thought about it would have, you know, and I, I don't know how you learned it. Maybe this is the luck or maybe this was something early on that you discovered, but listening to your instincts benefited you. Yeah, I think, I think you know, part of, part of I, I grew up with my grandmother and that's definitely something that she was always about, right? Listen to yourself, listen to your instincts, you know, keep your, keep your focus on her thing, like keep your focus on God. And, you know, those kind of um, lessons that you learn from your family and learn from people around you can really help you guide you through almost anything you get into. No, that's, that's, that's excellent. And, uh, you know, uh, your parents, so, so you came over, uh, what did, what did your parents do for, for a living? Did, did your mom work or just your dad or, or, um, you know, what did they do? Both worked. Uh, my parents, you know, in, in Guyana, uh, I think my dad was an engineer. I think my mother was a, um, like a nurse in Guyana. When they came over here, um, my father went back to doing engineering and then he went to become a teacher. Um, my mother was, you know, she studied, she actually studied to take a test for the RN and passed it without going to school in America, which is like awesome, right? She self-studied, passed it. Um, so she was RN at um, some, some of the bad, like some crazy hospitals, emergency, emergency room RN. So she's seen and had stories oh that you would not believe. Um, so yeah, she's a, she's a nurse. 
Yeah, I have a. I've got a friend who um, Detroit Receiving is is uh, one of our uh, hospitals downtown, and she grew up as you know she did her ER, you know, uh, what do you call it, um, the rotation, you know, yeah. at, at Detroit Receiving, and the stories you hear about those situations, I can only imagine the things your your mother came across. So uh, you know, the first uh, segment goes by very very quickly. We're already at the end of our, our time, so everybody stay tuned. Um, there's there's more to this great story. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Janae Wright. Janae, uh, so again, great, great story. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that your parents, um, you know, your parents uh, pulled you out of the one school and, and, and put you into a private school um, that couldn't come without cost. And, you know, given what they, what, what you just said that they, they did for a living and everything and, and the cost of living in, even in a, a, a neighborhood like East Brooklyn, cost of living in New York is, is high. Um, you know, how, how did they afford that? Where, you know, did, did they just kind of grind it out themselves? Were there community resources? Did you guys tap into community resources and did you utilize any of those resources to help yourself out? Even, even when you start applying to college, I'm kind of curious about that. No, it's kind of funny. Like as as I as I became an adult and I learned more about the options out there, um, I started to realize that there's things that people who are in you know lower income areas, um, immigrants to the country, don't know. Right? My parents didn't know about any of that. Like we didn't. They, this was them pretty much just buckling down and adding ex, adding extra expense to their to their already heavy expenses to send me to this private school. Um, and even as I went into college, I didn't know about, you know, um, Pell Grants and any of those. So it was, it was, again, my entire college was paid through loans. Wow. So there's, there's not a lot of information out there that actually tells people uh, about these, these, um, these 
accessible resources to them, right? And as, as an immigrant, no, we didn't use any of it. And for my siblings or myself, pretty much most of our college tuitions were all paid by loans, or my mother paid it, my paid off some of it. Yeah, and that that I mean, you know, I, I think that also maybe creates to some degree. Um, you know, a certain amount of dedication on your part to make sure you get through things. If again, you know, you're, you're, you're supporting yourself, you're, you're paying for it. But, you know, fortunately today there are a lot of options and people, people don't always know about those options. And, you know, I kind of think about the, the story of you starting Primus and um, the audience hasn't heard this yet, but, but, uh, you know, you're in a, in a way you're also providing some of those options by pre- providing education by by teaching by by actually bringing back to the community so um you know tell me the story about how you launched primus how did it actually get going sure so premise was a afterthought right i graduated college in 2002 um right pretty much right after 9-11 i was supposed to come back home and one of the one of the things i know i wanted to do i wanted to work in the world trade center i graduated from buffalo with a degree in economics i wanted to be you know an analyst so that's where i wanted to work i used to i used to go see my aunt who worked in the world trade center every couple of weeks pick her from work and I'm like yo these tall beautiful buildings i want to be on top of one of them unfortunately by the time i came back home in september in in october the world trade center were no longer there so there was really like, you know, every single uh, appointment, every resume I sent out, the thousands of resumes I sent out, they were all focused in that area. Oh and boy. by the time I came back home, either if the company wasn't gone, there, you know, there was like a great abandonment of New York City at the time. People started yeah. moving their company to Jersey or down south, and I wasn't ready to do that yet. So I was sitting home with nothing to do, looking for jobs. <laughs> I, 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 my mother banked at a bank called uh, Independence Bank in downtown Brooklyn. Yep. And I went there to apply for a job. So they asked me to take this test. The test was simple. And they called me back the next day like, oh, my God, you got 100 out of 100 on the score. We'd like to have you start um, a teleposition at $11 an hour. I have a bachelor's degree. I'm not doing that. So, like, I, I have a whole bunch of student loans to pay back. That doesn't work. So... I remember you know, my sister started a company, um, she did um, tutoring, so I helped her tutor and I was doing her books at the time. And then one of my friend's parents was you know, talking about the accounting stuff that she has to do and her books are, are not in order. So I started helping her out with some of that. And you know, as I was helping her, I always needed to see her leave work with this big bag of, of uh, just a huge bag. And every day she would bring that same bag back to the office and you know, I'd ask her what was in the bag and that's what she's telling me, you know, accounting, like stuff that she has to get done, this paperwork, this paperwork, that. So I'm like, let me help you. So I ended up doing, um, redoing her books for her, doing all the accounting for her for like a year so she could do an audit. I'd end up like helping her set up her computers and set up all these things. And as I was doing that, she would, you know, somebody else asked her how she got it done. She would say, Janae did it for me. They would ask me to do it for them. I'm like, sure, whatever. I think in that process, I start to realize that these business owners are looking for help, right? They don't know what help they need. They don't understand why they're overtaxed with all these things, but they're looking for help. So I started doing that. I started helping them with their accounting. I started helping them with HR. I started helping them. You know, I even, I was at one point, you know, I, I used to love building computers. So I started helping with the computer systems. And, you know, after a while, it kind of became like, hey, he's like, he's like this, this business handyman. You can jump into any position and help fix things. And I think that's how Primus 
the initial thought of Primus got started. Uh, after that, you know, I, I started the company. I did one or two jobs every couple months, couple years, got some money to go on vacation, got some money to buy my car. And, but then I went and worked for a company um, doing more consulting work on, on Wall Street, but I always kept this Primus thing going. About, you know, probably like three or four years before my daughter was born. So it's probably like 10 years ago. You know, Primus was still there, was still going. I was like, you know what? Let me go this full time. So I started actually calling back people, um, started uh, working more diligently with clients and really helping them really create a sense of systems and security in their business where they actually, you know, a lot of them say for the first time in the middle of the year, they know exactly how much money they made because it's not just like end of the year bookkeepers yeah. who send you a bookkeeping um, thing for you to do your taxes. This is actually seeing a P&L every single month for the first time in their business. And, you know, that idea kept, kept going to be like, this is a niche or a needed thing that people need, right? Something that business owners need because it can help them focus more on their business, right? And less on the, the ancillary stuff, the accounting, the HR. So I bought an HR person to help me. I bought in a branding person to help me. I bought in another accountant and really started working with clients and like taking over the entire back office. So like we literally became the admin section of their company. And, you know, when you start showing them that they've spent less time working on on things that don't bring in money and more time on things that do bring in money, their business started to grow, right? When you start having people who have bachelor degrees and master degrees in accounting and HR helping you think through strategy and processes, your business starts to feel it. It starts to grow. So Primus just became this, this really great, resource to business owners. And as I started to really think about what we're doing, the idea of, listen, the reality of if I graduate school, if you look at someone you know right now who graduates school with a master's in accounting, right? The corporate, the, the Fortune 500 companies are coming after them. They're throwing money at them. They're like, hey, come work for us. And that's how those companies get that big because they have the resources to hire the best of the best. So if I'm now gonna go and take the best of the best, come work for Primus, a company that you can get the same level of, of degree and opportunity for, and then take those resources and pivot it towards smaller business. Now I am taking like these very smart, very intelligent people and putting them into a business who can afford to hire them in pieces. Like you couldn't yes. afford this person as a full salary. Your budget would get blown. Yeah. But you can afford to hire them for an hour every month because now you're getting this resource in your company and helping you grow your business to a whole different level than you thought it was going to be. So Primus was that, right? It was like a like I'm taking like it's the it's the um, what was it the, the Robin Hood theory, right? Take it from I'm taking from the rich to, to help the poor. So it's like I'm taking some of the smartest people for the Fortune 500 and bringing it down to small business so I can get them to grow up and be the Fortune 500 companies themselves. Well, and 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 I think part of the story that that's 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 also interesting is. Um, you know, yeah, you're you're bringing these great resources to small businesses, and and I'm sure that 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 any small business could could benefit. But you've also done some targeting for your you know your potential client base, and you know um, you know a company like mine could certainly use yours and, and many many others. But but you've taken a, a, a you've also kind of taken a forward. Um, thinking approach to giving back to communities, especially the community you grew up in. Um, and so, so, 
you know, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to find ways to give back, find ways to contribute to um, to the causes that are important to them. And you know, again, your business model can can handle any business, but but tell tell us a little about that focus and and how's that how's that helped others in the area and, and how's it helped your old neighborhood? Sure. So. You know, one of the things that, that's very important and, I, and something that I, I truly believe in is that businesses are the catalyst to change communities, right? Like if you put a, if you, a small business owner who is making money can hire from that community, then the community gets a little bit better. And so as we work, we try to look for businesses who are really community centric, right? They're, they're focused on their community. They're focused on trying to help people around them. There's one, um, one business owner who runs a, a dance studio in, in Brooklyn and her abilities, like if I see her on, I see her on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on Instagram and in the middle of the summer where people are not going anywhere, she's like doing walking tours. Like she's making people get up and walk around to help them move more. Right. So things like that is like, they're so interested in, in being part of their community and they want to help that my goal is, hey, let me put my resources with you. Let me work with you. Let me help you really figure out how to make that idea that you have in your head that's bringing in you know, little to no money every year. Let's talk, let's turn it around and help you do the same exact things, but get you paid for it. Get you, get you have a livable rage off of it. Because it'll be surprising to know how many business owners do not live on a livable wage, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, a lot of them are not really making that much money. And while it's a, a, while it's something of passion for them, the reality that you can make money and still do what you love is important. And it helps you do a lot more. So as I'm going into this community and I'm talking to people and I'm, I'm trying to help them understand how you take finance and HR and help build your business, the residual effect, the butterfly effect of the communities around you, the people who live in your neighborhood, the businesses next door to you, that that young person who passed you who never thought of being an entrepreneur, seeing you do these things, and now they want to be an entrepreneur in their community, that butterfly effect is so awesome. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like a weird situation because I'm a third party to it, yeah. right? It's like I am sitting in the background just watching, and I'm enjoying it because I'm like, listen, me and my team helped that to happen. We're not the direct service provider. We're not the person who's in front of the client or in front of the community, but we're in the background making sure that that business that's trying to do great has the resources to do great. Well, yeah, you, you take some of the um, you take some of the stress off their plate. I mean, look, fact is, small business owners, um, you know, most don't want to sweat a lot of that stuff. They know they have to. They feel like they're stuck doing it, but they don't really want to sweat it, and. You know, it's it's amazing that how many of them, how many I talk to, how many friends I have that don't want to, you know, spend the money per se, let's say, on an outsourced solution, right? Um, you know, farm right. it out. But but I can tell you, the minute you do, you'll never want to go back because you realize that it frees you up to work in your passion. And that actually has that has a longer-term benefit to your organization and to your customers and everybody right. about just back to that butterfly effect. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, that's, that's always been part of like, you know, my partners get upset because I do take on some, um, some pro bono work that they call it. Uh, I think, but I it's, think it's, that's it's, important, by the way. I think we all should be doing some. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to. I think there's, 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 great, there's great businesses out there who honestly are not going to make it, right? They're, it's, it's, 
I remember there's a book called um, The Rich Dad Poor Dad book, right? There's one line in that book that I've always focused on. I don't know why, but it's like, it's something that I always keep telling people about. There is, is there's a line that talks about the entrepreneur seizure, right? And what he meant by it is like, there are these skilled tradesmen, these people who love what they do, who wake up one morning and have this epiphany that, oh, I can do this as a business, right? Because they think that the way their boss was doing it or whoever was showing them how to do it was doing it wrong. But they didn't realize that the reason they were doing it the way they thought was wrong was because of business, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just it's not just I'm great at this. I can hammer this nail to till it's blue and it do it perfectly better than anybody else on the planet. But I have to, have to get find clients that make me want to go hammer the nail. I have to have clients who are going to hire me to do that, and that takes away from it. So when they have these 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 epiphanies that I'm going to be a business owner, and then the reality of being a business owner hits them, they fall apart. Yeah. And so when you when you do the outsource thing and you go the route where you hire somebody like I am good at being a business person, right? So I can help you with your business and you can still hammer that nail down perfectly and I'll make sure that everything else around you is working smoothly so you have all the time in the world to hammer that nail. Yeah, that's it's 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 important. It's it's so important. Um you know, we're, we're here. We are. We're, we're we're coming up on our on our next break again. So when we come back, I, I want to dive a little bit into the book, but but also get into some business philosophy. Uh, you know, I I think that entrepreneurs aren't successful just out of nowhere. Um, yes, they got to have good resources around them. They have to understand, you know, everything you just said that that it, that the business is more than just hammering the nail. Uh, but but I think there's also something in the the heart, and there's a drive, and I I'd really like to tap into your thinking on some of that as well. So everybody, stay tuned. Um, we'll be back uh, just in a really just in a couple of minutes, and um, we'll continue our conversation with Janae. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience meeting organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with uh, Janae Wright. Janae, uh, 
you know, I, I think what we were talking about really leads well into into your book, uh, Black Business Success Model. And, uh, you know, you talk a lot about, um, you know, what it means to be successful. And, uh, you know, it was just so. So what was the premise of the book? What, what, what got you interested in writing the book in the first place? Sure. So in, in my community, there's a lot of um, myths about black businesses, right? Um, myths that, you know, we're more likely to, to gouge you on price or on professionalism or um, there's, this, there's this really horrible joke that is prevalent in my community and it keeps and it keeps getting passed on year after year. It's like you haven't been to an authentic Caribbean restaurant unless you've been cursed out by the owner, right? And those kind of things, the, the ideas of the, the, the lazy DMV worker, all those are, are myths that talk about, about our professionalism as a whole. And it really got to me. And it's something that I'm, I'm like, listen, the reality of who we are as business owners does not come even close to those myths, right? Because of who we are and what our, our people have been through, we strive harder than most to come across as professional. We try hard and the most to come across as successful. So those myths are just really counterintuitive to the reality of what's happening. So when I thought about this book, I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna write this book and what I want to do is help those business owners kind of fight against those myths, right? So how do you get people to stop saying these things, these negative things about our businesses? And it, it came to light of like, let's, let's really concentrate on what it is to be a great business owner, right? Let's concentrate on how do we create and show our honesty and ethics. How do we create and show the vision and the, the mission of our company? So not just that, not just that it's important to me as a business owner, but that my staff understands what my vision is, understand what my ethics are, and they're they're perpetuating it out to the public for me. That my clients, when they come into my establishment, they understand that what they're going to get is going to be the most professional, the most um, upfront business owner. So as I'm, as I'm creating this book, it just starts to like really dawn on me. Let's, let's really make it into like a workbook where a business owner can take notes for themselves. They can track themselves. They can write down things. So like the whole page is in there of like this empty page where you can just write things in there and really take your, take your business to this, this next level. And the other important part for it is like, you know, when you first start as, as a writer, I'm calling myself a writer now, wow. As, as a writer, <laughs> when you first start thinking about it, it's like, I want to go and write this novel. I want it to be four or 500 pages of information. Let me just put it. Then I start thinking, no business owner has the time to write 500 pages of a book, right? So I cut this down to like 120 pages in a soft cover book that you can literally bend and put in your back pocket and walk away and keep on you because it's going to teach you lessons of how to keep growing your business, how to keep people understanding who you are and how you're going to help create this level of of advocacy, right? And that's yeah. that's the underlying bit. I want every client, every employee, every customer to become an advocate of my business and that's how my business is gonna grow. So I'm making sure that I put out the information to help them really grow their business and think through the future of it. Yeah, I, you know, that's excellent. I, you, you, you make me chuckle a little bit because um, many, many years ago, um, you know, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Patrick Lencioni, who's written a number of books on business, including Five Dysfunction of the Team, a lot of the very, very popular yes. ones now. And, um, you know, he had, he had come here to Detroit, and we had a small group get together, and a friend of a friend put us together. And, and um, you know, this was before he wrote Five Dysfunctions, but somewhere in the conversation, um, you know, it came up with, uh, you know, how did you get started writing books? You know, how, how did you, how did you do it? And he, and he, and he said, well, the first, first decision I had to make was, um, I had to 
write a book that I would actually read, which means <laughs> it's got to be a book I can complete on a flight from Chicago to Denver, you know? And, and so you just, when you said it can't be a 500 page novel, it made me think of that almost immediately because you're right. Business people, you know, uh, we're all maybe a little ADD. We're always jumping to the next thing to focus on. So something that's quick and a quick reference is very, very important. And I, and yeah. I love, I love that you got the, the, the places to write and everything. I think that the, probably for you, you know, success wouldn't be to see your book sitting pristine on somebody's shelf. Your success would be seeing it beat up, beaten up and falling apart sitting on the corner of their desk. I have a, a, a person who wrote the book, sent me a picture of it, and I was so excited. Like, they had, the, the person I, I learned after a while was like really one of those like scholarly people. They have like different color tabs on each of different pages. They like had wrote writing all over it. Inside of it was all written up. I'm like, this is what the book is meant for. This means she's learning a lot. She keeps going back to it, and this is awesome. That's excellent. And so, um, so, so you had mentioned some of the, the the myths that you want to get behind, but there's a lot of strong business advice in the book. I mean, straight up. Um, you know, what are what are, you know? I, I hate to say, what are some of your favorite points? I, I, I think we all have our favorites. We we put a lot of stuff in the book, and then, then there's the stuff we kind of go back to over and over and over again. What are what are some of your favorite points? So so you know, we've got listeners here today that um, that haven't been exposed to your book maybe before today. Um, what would be what would be some things that that they should really think about, especially if they're thinking about starting an entrepreneurial business? So one of the greatest, or not greatest, one of the when you look at like. Uh, if you look online or Google and try to figure out what happens to business owners, why do most businesses end up failing? You know, you'll see all the accounting and all all of the business management stuff, and then you start to realize the underlying factor is leadership, right? Is a leadership fail situation, and that's one of the chapters in the book is about leadership failures. And in that chapter, the sub chapter that I love the most because I, I have to, I wrote it, and I keep going back to it and reminding myself that I need to do this better. Delegation. Right? It is, it is the, the pain in the backside for any business owner in the world. And it's understandable why it's pain because your business is your baby. And like your baby, no one is going to feed your baby like you. No one's going to clean your baby like you. Nobody's going to run your baby like you. The problem is, if you try to do it all yourself, your baby's not going to make it. So yeah. understanding that, that delegation is part of a business owner's right and they have to be able to use it properly, right? So, you know, there's different levels of delegation, right? There's the there's the micromanager delegation where I'm gonna stand over you and I'm point at exactly what you need to do all the time, down to where I am right now, and I'm very happy about it, is the end result delegation, right? And end result delegation means, hey, I need a glass of water. That's it, you're not saying anything else. All you know is that somebody can bring you a glass of water. You're not telling them how much ice cubes to put in it, you're not telling them where, if it's, if it's if it's pulling spring or tap water, all you care about is that at the end of the day, there's a glass of water in your desk. And you know, that is one of my favorite chapters because it really homes in on one of the biggest problems we have as business owners. I, I think you nail it right there. I mean, we, we talk a lot, especially with our clients. I mean, it's the number one thing we face is, is delegating. And, and we, we've often said that, that one of the key differences between a manager and a leader is that managers delegate tasks, leaders delegate results. I mean, so, you know, you're already near and dear to my heart as you start talking about that because we get so hung up. And I can't tell you how many times, um, even advising friends, that I've found that the bottleneck in their system, the reason why they're not growing is themselves, right? I mean, you know, you can't grow. You know, if you're doing everything yourself, there's only so much you can do before you've maxed out. You become you yes. become the stopper. No, it's absolutely true. I mean, like I, 
<laughs> one of the jokes I always tell, I tell some of my clients is, listen, I am a trained accountant, right? And for many years, of all the books that I work on with all my clients, the worst books are mine, right? And it had to be a fact where I was getting in my own way because I had so many things to do, I couldn't get back to that. Yeah. So when I finally delegated that to one of my staff members, my books are up to date by like probably at this point now, like they probably just finished doing some things. And it's like, it's so helpful because now, now that my books are so in such great shape, I can now look at it and analyze it much quicker. I get to do things that I wouldn't be able to do first because if I needed something for my books, I had to go and do all the work myself and then get it done. By me delegating that task, I now get this higher level of information, this higher level of responsibility that helps my business grow at a much faster rate. So like you know, when you're thinking about, oh, I don't want to give somebody this because they're going to do it wrong. The question is, one, did you train them properly? Two, did you hire the right person? Yep. Or three, why are you getting in your own way? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. give it up, let them do it. And you can check in every week if you need to, but let them do it. Because one, one, once they get trained to understand who you are as a manager, they will start changing the way they do things to match your style. And then all of a sudden, there's something you don't have to worry about anymore because you know it's getting done to, to your satisfaction. Yeah, you're, you're, you're hitting it. I, it's just if there's one lesson I could help every entrepreneurial owner um, learn. That is it, you know, div- dividing it up. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's dive in. So how about another another good lesson from your book you like to share? Sure. I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is, you know, marketing and sales is part of the job, right? Understanding that that you can have. You know, you, you need to really design your business marketing in a certain way, right? Figure out what your niches are, figure out what your demographics are. Understanding who it is that you're trying to get to is probably another very important part of, of being a business owner. And when I think one of the things that people have a problem with or have a the wrong uh, concept about is what a niche is, right? So when I told um, business owners that they need to develop their niche, they're like, oh, but that's gonna leave a whole bunch of people off the table who I can't go after. But I think the, the concept people need to realize is a niche does not mean you're not going after everyone. It just means how are you going to allocate your resources against that one niche, right? So I, I work with nonprofits, for-profits, dentist office, doctor's offices. There's no way in the world I can create one marketing plan that's going to hit all four of those demographics. So I niche each one. So that way when I'm talking nonprofit, I'm talking nonprofit. When I'm talking dentist and doctor, I'm talking to dentist and doctor. So I think that's another part of the book about, you know, the, their, your online presence, your uniqueness, your, the values that you're given, how you really concentrate on the demographics you have um, and really be able to, to better focus your resources to ensure that you're telling the clients, your potential clients, exactly what you want to tell them to get them to work with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, some of the other tricks, uh, you know, I, I, I have, uh, I have here in front of me something, the five second rule. Yes. Uh, the five second rule is, is, is a business rule as well as a personal rule, right? I, I learned this a while back and it's the, the concept is that your brain will tell you not to do something if you give it long enough five seconds to do, right? So if, if you want to do something, case in point, you want to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning. Your alarm goes off, you look at the you look at that clock. If you look at the clock for six seconds, you're going back to sleep. 
right? If you look at a clock and you say, okay, give yourself five seconds, count it down if you want to, you know, five, four, three, two, get up, stand up. I don't care what you do, but get out of bed. You will more likely be able to move than if you try to say, okay, give me another two seconds because you're going to go right back to sleep if you get past it. So, so that concept of five-second rule is really about giving yourself the momentum to do something, like giving yourself a countdown clock to get yourself moving. And you can use it for everything you do, right? Like you gotta, like one of those things that make your heart race, right? You have to have a hard decision with a staff member, give yourself five seconds and go do it. Like, like push yourself beyond your limits because if you don't, your brain will talk you out of it after that five seconds. Yeah, and I bet a lot of missed opportunities um, occur because of that. Yes. But, okay, yes. so, so, but the other side of the coin is, is, is um, do you ever get yourself in trouble by, by going too quick on something? I mean, the, 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 the goal is like, it's not, it's not to, to, not to not think about something, but the goal is about once you make that decision, get in, get in motion. Oh, Get emotion, yeah. Got so it. take your time to make, make the decision. It's like, you know, one of the hardest things business owners ever do is letting somebody go, right? And that emotional toll on you, I'm sure most of us have walked into somebody's office like, okay, not today, and walk away and not do it. And it's not a good option. So when you put yourself on that situation where like, hey, I'm doing this now. Let me count this now. And you walk in and start talking. You'll make sure that you push yourself beyond that board, that, that barrier that's stopping you from going forward. Yeah, and and that is that is the case. We do avoid a lot of things um, when we can, yes. and and I think it, it 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 touches on accountability to some degree because because like you said, and, and and that was maybe the part I missed in the very beginning. But once you've made the decision, be accountable for that decision, and that means going into action, and. Sure. Um, no better time than now. And, and it's no better time to ta- tackle the tough stuff than now because we will procrastinate on that. And, and, and when we procrastinate on those things, it creates even more problems for us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've all been in those situations where one little hesitation and all of a sudden it, it, it becomes a, a snowball down a mountain situation and you can't stop it anymore. So like, try not to procrastinate. Give yourself that, that acknowledgement of those five seconds to make yourself make a decision or make yourself move on a decision rather, I think is, is, is extremely important for a business owner. Yeah. And then the last, last question I have for you, you know, before when it is really the, the mark of an entrepreneur. So there are colleges today teaching entrepreneurship and all that stuff. And I think you can teach a lot of the tactics, but, but you've, your stories really illustrate a guy that, that, that was always driven to do something maybe bigger or better or different. And, uh, you know, is that something that you learned, do you think, through your life? I mean, was that a result of your parents? Do you think you were born with it? I mean, uh, you know, what do you think? I I think that is a result of my parents. My parents and my grandparents always teaching me that, you know, you can do whatever you want, right? How you do it and, and what you're doing is on you. But you can really create different options in this world. And being able to not be stuck into one role is an important part of it. I think part of part of what I believe in is, you know, entrepreneurs need to know how to pivot. They need to understand that if there's a brick wall in front of you, pivot and go around it. Like you can't just get stuck. Like, hey, I need to cross this. I need to cross this ocean, but I don't have a boat, so I'm just gonna sit here until the boat shows up. No, figure it out and go make it happen. So, like, you know, I think it's, it's part of what I've been taught as, as a child from my parents of just being, you know, my, like my mother came to this country having a background in nursing, 
but not being able to nurse, be a nurse in this country until she takes a test to prove that she's been a nurse for 20 years. And she took the test, studied by herself, no classes, studied, learned information, and passed the test by herself, right? And there's a test where people have to go to school to do and all these things, and she did it just by sitting in front of a book and learning on her own. That is a, a, a role model. If you don't have one, that is a role model, right? That's someone who's like, you know, no matter what the obstacle is in front of you, you find a way around it. You find a way to make it happen. You find yourself, you push yourself to, the, to as far as you possibly can to ensure that you, you get what you need to get. Excellent, excellent. I think that's a, that's a great way to wrap our show. Um, we are out of time, which, which is, is sad because I've got like 20 other questions I want to ask you. Um, but, you know, folks, it, it, just, it, it just goes to show you entrepreneurs don't find success just out of the blue. It doesn't just happen. It requires work. It requires dedication. It requires drive. Uh, Janae's story, what, what a great story of, of, of you know, taking charge of your life and getting out there and, um, and making your life happen. And uh, it's just, I, I think it's been, been great to listen to you. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. No, it's great. And uh, maybe we'll get you back on sometime, um, you know, sometime in the near future. So everyone, thanks again for listening this week. Um, if, uh, if you want his book, it's, um, it's available on Amazon, I'm sure. And other other venues, I'm sure. Um, Black Business Success Model is the book. Um, check out his his company, Primus. Um, it's uh, they, they've got some interesting things. I've been looking at it myself. So um, anyway, thanks for joining us, and I'll be with everybody again next week. Take care. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.